Welcome to Sport After Dark, your weekly sports podcast hosted by myself, Lewis Blaine and Michael Coleman. On tonight's episode, Stevie G to Rangers, but is it the right move? Another side making changes is Sunderland. We delve into the situation at the Stadium of Life. Miller and Jacob shine in Brooklyn, while build-up begins with a rematch of the grudge match, Bellew vs Hay 2. Team events are walk-on music, a different week for the world of golf. We discuss whether these gimmicks should remain. Andy Murray looks set for a tough Wimbledon this year, but the sport faces problems of its own. And of course, don't miss our betting corner towards the end of the show. Good evening, Michael. Good evening. We're recording this a day earlier than we normally would. We are. On Tuesday as I'm at a playoff game tomorrow. Correct. (laughs) That sadly takes precedence for me this week. (laughs) Of course, unexpectedly. Yeah. So... Go straight into football. Let's kick it off. Here's Harry Kane. Kane goes for it! What a goal from Harry Kane! It's red in Russia and Manchester United's joy is unconfined. I don't know, Jeff, has it? I must have missed that. It's a red card. And then Ronaldo! Champions 2016, the amazing Leicester City. Tele Aguero. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Germany are champions of the world. So big news this week with Steven Gerrard supposedly set to take the Rangers' job. Yeah. What are your first thoughts on that appointment? Um, I'd like to see it happen. Um, as we've been chatting before about it, and it's like, like you say, someone from our, our own generation, you know, going on to take the reins somewhere at a decent level as well. Um, so in that sense, I would. I think it's good for the game. Attracts more interest. It's it, and it's a very interesting appointment if it does happen. Um. Whether it's good or bad, I could probably argue two sides to whether it would be whether it would pay off for Rangers and and if if you'd be well suited there. But I could also probably make some points that would indicate it's a lot to take on in your first managerial role. There's so. two ends to it, isn't there? Really, as yeah. a as a ex player who's wanting to make the steps into management, you've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So anywhere's going to be a risk, I suppose. Absolutely, but I believe that <coughs> some clubs more than others. Um, you can start off at an extremely low level, and you, you, I don't think it would be for for a man of his caliber and, and experience. Starting off at a really low level would, would be uh, less less of a task than somewhere as uh, like a top club like Rangers. I believe he rejected the MK Dons job, and obviously they've just been relegated to League Two. Yeah, rightly so, I believe. Yeah, I don't. Um, it depends on what he was going through his mind and what 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 his own ideas are of where he wants to start, where he wants to go, what he wants to do. So. Um, you could argue, you, you know, it could have been a, a good move for him that one. It could also uh, not be. Depends on upon his own wishes. I feel like whoever goes into the Rangers job, they're gonna be judged, and it's gonna be a big risk because obviously their only big rivals in Scotland are Celtic, yeah. and they're a complete different level financially and quality-wise. Yeah, but I think the quality-wise is probably. 
partly down to the, uh, the direct action because they're financially powerhouses in that league. So I think um, the Rangers of old were were much more equal with, with with Celtic, and I think now, obviously, since the troubles that they've had in the past few years, it's um, it's now come down to the fact that they haven't got the same money behind them, <coughs> and uh, that's why Celtic are. Continue to it's also reported that he isn't going to take the job unless he knows he's going to be financially back to compete. And he's got every right to do so because I don't believe that with as much as Steven Gerrard could probably do some, he could probably make a real success of it up at Rangers. But I believe he does need some financial backing to be able to match match the level of Celtic. Celtic are that dominant that it's going to take more than just bringing a very good manager in to um, to turn things around and get him on an even playing field. So. I think um, I think he's got every right to do that, and not only that, but he'd be setting himself up for failure if he wanted to take the job on, not being able to compete really, and yeah. um, without the backing, and he'd be making a rod for his own back really. I think you know going into that job, it's going to be a lot of work to turn them around. Yeah, I mean I know the SBR isn't a strong league, and they are third in the league, but they are some way off Celtic. Yeah, absolutely. And the gap between them didn't used to be that big. No, absolutely not. So now it needs to shorten, and obviously. Gerard had a long, long career at Liverpool. He's been under countless number of managers there, so he yeah. picked up a lot of styles. How yeah, do you it. see him being as a manager? Um, as a manager, I think he'll be. I think he'll make a very good manager. Um, I can agree with that. I just think it's. I think he'll be a good manager as long as he takes the right steps in the right order at the right time. I believe throwing himself in a deep end. If they offered him the Liverpool job now, I'd advise against it. I don't think it'd be bode very well for him for the future, but I believe once he, if he starts somewhere suitable and works his way up in terms of him himself, he's a, he's a, he's a big character in England. He's he's very very well respected, not just by by Mersey, you know people in Merseyside, but yeah. the nation itself. The appearances he's made for England, the um, captaining his club side, he's captain England. So he's you know he's a very he's a very he was a world class player. He's played against nearly every style you can imagine against against the world's best he's beat the world's best I think um, I think for them reasons that he he will make a very good manager one day he's a leader on the pitch captain for Liverpool Absolutely, most of his yeah. career yeah. captain for England at a time mm. he's been under Julier Rafa Benitez Roy Hodgson Dalglish Rodgers he would have picked up something off all of those because they're yeah. all completely different managers Absolutely. so he could I suppose he could take bits from all of them Plus his own sort of his own sort of style. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the stuff he's probably learnt off that manager would probably be invaluable and stand him in extremely good stead for the future from when he's in charge of his own team. And like I said, he's like I've already mentioned, he's not um not just the managers as well, but the people that he's maybe played against as well. The styles he's had to play against, the players he's had to play against. Um and I think that's just part of the reason why he will go on to make a great manager. He knows the game very well. People like Beckham and Lampard of this sort of era haven't really got into management, which I'm not surprised. No. And again, I'm not surprised that Gerard is the one to go into management. I uh, know. We could probably take comparisons to maybe people like Zidane, albeit at Madrid. Well, yeah, I mean, when we're saying about um, Gerard throwing himself in at the deep end or giving himself, setting himself a task maybe too hard, Zidane's first managerial role. Well, well, Zidane's first managerial role technically was the B side of Madrid for a couple of seasons. Which you could compare to Gerard managing the Liverpool youth team. Here. Yeah, yeah, something similar. Um, 
So along them lines, he had to kind of prep that Zidane had before he took over Madrid. Um, and he's took over Madrid and since won, in, you know, in the space of a few years, he's won pretty much everything at Madrid as well. So And, and he's gone on to, be a, to do very good things for Madrid. Some will argue anyone, you can stick anyone in charge of Madrid, but with the Spanish league um, constantly improving and constantly becoming more competitive, I think it, now more than ever... It, they're now dependent on on having the right person in charge. So I think you can relate yeah. it to the Zidane story and and see that he, you know, he's hit it from from the off. Well, if we were to take another example of someone who's an ex-player and isn't going into such a ready team like Madrid, you mm-hmm. could say maybe Vieira in New York. Yeah. And um, Kevin Davies has been recently sacked at Southport or in the Conference yeah, that's North. Very surprising. I mean, so. That's another end of the scale. Who maybe it hasn't been successful yeah. for him for his first job, and he's gone that low down to get to get a job. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I think there's many managers though who've maybe not done as well at the bottom level, another very start level. Um, oh, there's there's countless. Amount. There's so many, and, and but yet they managed to go on and do very good things. So, but I think for Gerard, it's for Gerard himself. The Rangers could be a big, could be a big, um, bit more than biting up, biting up more than he can chew. But maybe yeah. not. Maybe he can. Uh, Maybe you can you know, go and do good things there, and hopefully kickstart not only not only um, a good spell at Rangers, but the start of his managerial career there. Which leads me on to my next thought: Do you think this tees him up nicely, if successful, to go on to become the next Liverpool manager? Um, Similar to Souness in 1986, he went to Rangers for a few years, and then went to Liverpool. Then yeah. went to Liverpool. Um, not too sure. It's highly dependent. It's very, very highly dependent upon how he does at Rangers, of course. So, um, if he does well at Rangers and and he can, you know, bring them back to the to the very I think it also depends second on half of Glasgow, then maybe. I think it also depends on the circumstances there. If he's not backed and they struggle, people just go, "Oh, he wasn't backed." Yeah. And obviously, with him being such a big figure in Liverpool, I think. Any fan would just be like, "Yeah, Gerard could come and be manager for our club." I don't think they would care. Mm, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, it w- no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But I think, uh, in the comparison to Sunas, maybe maybe the game's a bit different from back then. From for back sure. from when he's different. So in terms of how managers are appointed these days, and maybe it's slightly different on that scale. But um, I, I certainly believe if he does well at uh, at Rangers, then he's he's sure he's sure got a good shout and a good a good argument for for you know, for maybe taking over at Liverpool one day. Especially has he you know as he spent not only his playing career there but he's been part of the youth setup and he's yeah. now man well he was sorry he he was managing the um he's not sorry currently he still is uh, managing the uh, under 18s at Liverpool. Um, so you know he's already part of the setup there and you know how things work so. You know, it's, it's interesting, and, and no doubt we'll find out. For me, with the recent news over the weekend of Klopp's assistant leaving the club or taking extended leave, would it be wiser for him to become Klopp's assistant? I know a lot of Liverpool fans are calling for that. Maybe you learn under Klopp for a few years, and when Klopp, when it's time for Klopp to go, he's just got a direct route from assistant manager to manager at the club, which he's gonna be aiming for at some point in his career to manage. Um, for me, that's a lot safer. And it's safer. It's certainly safer, but I believe, again, it all depends on how uh, how uh, Gerard sees his managerial career going. I mean, he could if if he all, all he's aiming for is to become the Liverpool boss, 
then he may very well want to just stay within the Liverpool setup and, like you say, manage to take the easy route from Klopp's side and, and straight into that. But maybe he's maybe he has his sights on a Liverpool job one day, but maybe he wants to be his own person, make it for himself, and um, have a have a long and illustrious managerial career. Period. So you know, it all depends on Dan what to what he wants to do, which way he wants to go. But if I was him, I'd be take, I'd I'd be I'd be taking I'd be taking the Rangers job. And um, if you know if he feels confident in himself that he can do well there, which I'm, I'm no doubt sure he will, um, that's what I would do, rather than no matter whether it's Liverpool or yeah. whether it's his his boyhood club or not. I I believe it's best to go off and and uh, really free. I mean, you can learn a lot, so much from being an assistant manager, but until you're actually in charge and take the reins yeah. of your team yourself, um. You're not really going to get the same kind of experience, so I believe he should. Go, in my opinion, he should go to Rangers if they offer him the job, and um, I sure hope he does. I mean, I agree to some extent. My only worries would be I'd only be going if I was backed. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere building against Celtic. And I also don't like the SPL as a league because it really was just a two-club league for so many years. Mm-hmm. Now it's literally just a one-club league. Well, so, yeah, but that seems like a. So many ways you can look at this. I mean, like you say, you wouldn't go out being financially backed. They have only, you know, they are, they are still towards the top of the table, though. So it's not as if they're very low down, and 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 it's not looking good for them. At least they've managed to, in the past few years, establish themselves back in the top flight of of Scottish football and and back towards towards the top end of the table. Um, if Gerard was there and he managed to finish second for a few years to Celtic, would it be that bad of an achievement? No, because people don't expect Rangers to go and topple Celtic and, and, and how they're doing. So it, it depends on which way you look at it. But if you're looking at it from the point of, of really succeeding there and knocking Celtic off the, off, you know, off the top of the perch and getting Rangers back up there, then then you say, like, you, say, um, you would need uh, the, the backing to go and do that. So and you didn't have every right to ask for there's it. There's a few jobs in the Championship that you could go for, I suppose, as well. And maybe even Sunderland, which we'll go on to in a bit in League One. Maybe a West Brom are going to go down. They might need a manager. Ipswich need a manager. But the Championship is a very tough league. I would urge him to stay away from them kind of jobs as his first managerial role. If it was me, I wouldn't be taking a job like that. Why? Why would you think that? And why would you say that overtaking something like Rangers, where it's going to be very, very tough to it's try and be, compete? It's going to be tough, but the difference is, um, you say, mentioned clubs that are maybe just going to go down. They the do prime, get a big prime. Win. They get a big windfall. They do, but the prime, the prime objective then would be to um, go straight back up. And certainly, with uh, the hype um, of Gerard taking over, maybe with just maybe with the, the clubs that go down, will have the primary objective to go straight back up. And I mentioned the windfall that they may receive. Their primary objective, along with the hype of Steven Gerrard taking over. Will be to go straight back up, whereas uh, and like I say it's a very tr- it's a very very tricky and competitive league. There's no telling who's going to win the championship each season. Yeah. Whereas if he goes and takes a Rangers job, um, like I said, he's not going to he's not going to receive no stick for becoming second or third to, Ra- to, to Celtic every season, um, and and learn his, his managerial trade up there. So I believe, <coughs> I believe the Rangers job would be considerably easier than taking a championship job in my opinion okay. um, but again it all depends on which way he wants to go some people call it the cop out way and some people are, 
will say you need a you need a winner's mentality, but it depends on what he wants, how confident he is in himself, and exactly just just basically his wishes on where he wants to go and and what he plans well, on doing at this stage he, of his career. Wherever he ends up, I will be taking an interest. I think oh, absolutely. I think anyone from anyone who's watched this era of football should do. He's been one of England's you know best from this era, so and I, and he's someone who will make a very good manager in my opinion. So it's um. I think any any football fan should be taking taking note. So we move on to Sunderland and what's happening over there. So back to back relegations. They seem in a club in free fall and they've just been sold to someone local to us here and Stuart Donald, the East yep. owner. Um I'll give you a little bit about him. He spent ten ten million on Eastley yeah. in non league. Very little reward. They've not won anything. No. They've not pulled up any trees. They struggled this season, and he himself that was said that was nine point five million more than what he wanted to spend originally. But he did also say he'd do it again. Yeah. The positives that come out from that are he turned a club that was probably struggling financially into a debt-free club. Mm-hmm. He's improved the stadium. He's seen a rise in season tickets and a rise in attendances. So um, obviously going into Sunderland. As that sort of owner experience at Eastleigh, yep. How do you think the changeover is going to be? Um, in terms of ownership and him taking over as as, as chairman there, not to that, to that effect, um, very well, in my opinion. The, the, like you just mentioned, the um, the loyalty and the, the the sheer interest that he had in Eastleigh and and the, the seven figure sums that he he invested that were considerably more than he planned to in the club. You have to bear in mind he's. The owner that's leaving Sunderland is much richer. Yeah, much much richer. But that just goes to show you that, you know, on the way down where where Sunderland up in in, in you know in their free fall coming down the leagues, um, he's he's very little interest in turning the club around when, you know, the the, the sacking of Chris Coleman, he had you know very. Little communication with Chris Coleman about it. This is this is your manager, so it's, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Really, that's, that's, in, in the, it does give the indication that the club is not being run properly. There's no real interest in to be a manager at a club and not speak to your chairman once is absolutely absurd. It's just it's, it's just daft. What what do you expect? What do you expect a club to do when when you've got no communication? Absolutely, you're not going to be skating towards all, all the same way. It's not it's not going to work. So I think considering what you said about. <laughs> Stuart Donald and uh, you know at Eastleigh and, and and his consortium that are going to take over at Sunderland, you know um, I think considering his character, how you've explained it and the interest he's shown there, the money he applied into it and and his loyalty to the club, um, I think that'll bode really well at Sunderland, and I think um, I think they are a club that are, are just in need of the TLC. I think they I think they just need some um, some sheer interest, some proper backing. Um, and the right things to come into place, communication, and 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 all get on the same page about where the club's going and how to turn it around. And I believe, from the picture you painted of him, I think he's, he's, he's you know he certainly sounds like the man that that, that that I'd like in charge if they were my club. So um, they're not the only team to sort of go through something like this. We've seen the likes of Blackpool and Portsmouth mm. go all the way down to League Two. Yeah. And obviously Stockport have gone all the way down to the Conference North. That's I mean that's cr- that's and a crazy story. Wigan and Blackburn have come down. Yeah. Half of them, Portsmouth are on their way back up. I'd say Blackpool are slowly getting there. Wigan are back up to the championship. Yeah. But Blackburn are very close. I suppose they can take confidence from these teams Absolutely. that have come down, especially with the likes of Portsmouth, 
who yeah. changed ownership in that time as well. Yeah, so it's a, so it's a very similar situation. And you mentioned two of the clubs in there. I mean, uh, you know, we'll talk a bit, uh, you know, soon about about managers' jobs now. Chris Coleman's gone from there, but like you said about the two of the sides that you mentioned have been turned around and um, in kind of rebuilding jobs in 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 Wigan and um, and Portsmouth. It was the man that turned them around, single, you know, being in charge of the club was Paul Cook. Yeah. Who's also in? You know, he's in the running for the next manager's job at Sunderland. So I believe, um, he, you know, it's it's very doable for Sunderland to turn it around. And I think, like I said, they've with with the um, the takeover now in place, and uh, Donald being being the man in charge of the club, um, he can pick his own manager, bring in a good manager who's experienced, who who can turn, who maybe had the experience before of turning clubs around, and. Um, or someone that just deserves a shot, and then it's um, it's well doable for Sunderland. They're a lot better. They're a lot better than a League One side. A lot, lot better. Um, they might not be as rich with Ellis Short going, but they will. The no, windfall they they're going to get is ridiculous, especially when you get the likes of Accrington coming up. Yeah, of course. And, and I think that there's just the fact that I mean the money's the money obviously helps the clubs these days, but I think. Um, the fact, if you ask chairman and and managers and, and you know fans of of other football clubs, I think they'll tell you that having constant communication and in, and you know the chairman showing interest in a club probably outweighs the the financial backing that they can provide, especially considering Stuart Donald's not going to go there, keep an interest in the club, but keep his hands in his pocket. Like you said, he spent an extra nine and a half million at Eastleigh to no success, and he said he'd do it all again. So that just shows yeah. you that he's. You know, he's him and his consortium will will have enough to invest in the club and and hopefully you know right to turn it around Sunderland because so they're a better side than the league, league one side. Yeah, so part of the reason of him coming in, he said he's only going to come in and be the chairman if Coleman's gone. Yeah. So that's obviously created the opening there. Currently, Mick McCarthy is clear bookies' favourite, but I believe that's because because of a sighting in Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Paul Cook, Chris Wilder. Kevin Phillips and Michael Appleton are all linked. Yep. And I know you like Paul Cook. Yeah, he's one of my favourite managers. So, do you think he would leave Wigan, who have just got promoted to the Championship, um, for a job like Sunderland? I don't know. I mean, in terms of, I'll, I'll, I'll speak firstly about the appointment of someone like Paul Cook. In my opinion, if you said, I'd be slightly biased because he's one of my favourite managers, but I think if you ask me, who would you? Take, who would you appoint if you could choose from from the list of um, available realistic managers? He would be my choice. He's he's done well pretty much everywhere he's been, and he's he's been there and seen clubs where he's had to turn it around and done well with them. He Sligo Rovers where he, I mean after a brief spell at Southport, Sligo Rovers where he, where he spent his first um, pro- proper period at a club for a, for a few years. He um, he took over in the first season and he he finished with a credible sixth place. Um, the season after he finished fourth and I think that was eligible for a UEFA Cup at the time place. Um, his third season was another credible finish and that was under uh, financial uh, constraint as well. Um, he also you know he managed to go on and win the um, the League Cup and and the Irish version of the FA Cup over there so. I think he done really well at that club. He, he had a brief spell at Accrington Stanley where he played as a player. He went to Chesterfield, um, had a very credible finish in the league. Uh, now without him, or going into non-league. Yeah. So, so I, I, he went there and he, they was uh, he finished eighth in the league with uh, with Chesterfield. And I think there was only a couple of points offside the playoff zone. Um, in his second league with them, he won the league. 
He won the league, took them up, and then, and then the season after that, when they went up to to, uh, to League One, not only did they they didn't struggle in, in the League One, they they finished sixth and made the playoffs that season. So it shows that he's you know he's done well there. But for Portsmouth, as a prime example, I met him whilst I was doing some work in Portsmouth, and he's um, he's that was in his two seasons that he'd done with them. His second year, he won the league and 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 maybe kick-started the process of that, of turning them around, turning their fortunes around. And same thing again, he'd been at Wigan for one year, um, and he's on the verge of, you know, he's, he's taking Wigan up into the championship. So I think he seems prime for a rebuilding and, and, and a turn of momentum type job. Whether he'd stay at Wigan or would he leave to go to Sunderland, Wigan are now up into the championship, Sunderland coming down. Um I know he's he, he's from Liverpool originally, so if he staying at Wigan, to be closer to his family. I know he's lad. He's, he's done it before, though. He's left Chesterfield to go down to Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, maybe, but maybe now he's getting a bit further up the pyramid. Maybe it seems like, um, and like I say, with his, with his being closer to home and the fact that I you know he's got his lad in Wigan's academy as well. Um, would Sunderland be progression for him? Maybe, but. You know, Sunderland are in League One. We're gonna have just gone up. He'll probably believe that he can do a similar thing what they done with Chesterfield, and uh, and you know, and and make a force of next season as well. So it's yeah. it's interesting. I'd like to see him. Uh, I'd like to see him stay at Wigan really and and, and do something <coughs> with Wigan. But uh, at the same time, it's it's a good story for Sunderland if they if they can really turn things around. And I believe if I was uh, you know the owner going into going into in, in his position, I'd be looking to employ someone like Paul Cook. I'd throw two outside names into the hat that are both linked with championship job in Ipswich. First is Paul Hurst at Shrewsbury. Mm-hmm. So he took Grimsby up in non-league and the Conference Premier to via the playoffs. Yeah. And his first season with Shrewsbury, he's in the playoffs again. And no one expected Shrewsbury to be that high up. He recruits really well. Yeah. From what I understand, he's fantastic in the dressing room. Yeah. And for me to take someone, for me, if I was him, I was looking at Ipswich or Sunderland, Sunderland League One, Ipswich Championship. Maybe you take the Ipswich job because you you know what you're doing in League One. But yeah. Sunderland probably have a far better scope to getting back to the Premier League than Shrewsbury ever will. Oh, absolutely. And I'd also throw Danny Cowley and his brother into the mix, having done so so well at Lincoln, turning them around, getting them out of the conference finally. Yeah. And they're on the verge of being in the playoffs in League Two. Them two are an absolutely outstanding pairing, having been around, yeah, been around the clubs they've managed. I spoke to our people who know them. They will go high. They will go Championship at least. I can envisage them going to the Premier League. Mm. I really can. I'd take a punt on either of those if I was Sunderland. Yeah, I think you know it's it's worth having a shot of. Um, it's what these, especially the younger managers these days, who rather than being involved in the, in, we've mentioned them before on a rep, on you know previous episodes of the podcast, and we've talked about them, so you know the so-called manager merry-go-rounds, and it's just the same managers going round and round to different jobs, and I think it's the way forward seems to be for kind giving. Of why you'd write off Mick McCarthy for this, really? I w- yeah, it, yeah, uh, absolutely. If it was me, I wouldn't be employing him, not to discourage him as a manager as such, but I believe. I oh, know he did a very good and consistent job with Ipswich without yeah, absolutely. Pull, but didn't really pull up any injuries. No, I just believe that um, in this day and age, I think the managers that have deserved a shot <coughs> should be given a shot and just and, and just roll with it because these are managers that are really going to relish it. 
and um, throw everything at it. So I, I, I just, I give one of the ones that, like you said, the, the two lads you mentioned, they didn't, you know, they certainly deserve a shot. And if not, you know, if, I, I think Paul Cook's a, a, a great option for them, and I think it's someone who's really suited. So we move on to boxing. Absolutely. My name is Floyd. My name is Money Mayweather. host to yet another good fight this week yep. Daniel Jacobs and Miller yeah I mean uh, it was uh, not a bad card actually to be fair um, Katie Taylor was on the card um, she had a good points win uh, in the unification fight so hopefully again it's like we said about Natasha Jonas last week obviously they can it's just one step forward to you know, a big a big female boxing clash against Natasha Jonas that would be great um, for the sport Absolutely, and especially it was great for women's boxing. Great for getting uh, attracting more interest to women's uh, to women participating, and it's a it's a real big push for it. I think Katie Taylor can be a real big star, not just in not just in women's boxing, but in boxing itself, and you know, especially in Ireland. Um, yeah, Jarrell Miller but facing uh, Johan de Halpas de Hapa, whichever one is which way it's pronounced, and uh, he. Uh, I'm not sure about Miller. He's coming in at 304 pounds. It's just, which I can't understand. He before his like this before this fight, he came in lower and he said he wanted to come in higher than that. And it's just not right. I think he he needs to be down lower than that. Um, the help the help was, uh, was very very tough. Um, Miller didn't seem to have the quite the knockout power he, he was touted for. Maybe that's why he believes putting on more weight will help help that. I'd like to see him come in at sub 260 and see what he's like down there. Maybe he feels his power's better than heavier, so that's why he's not. Um, he's certainly he's another good win, routine win. Um, I'd like to see him face someone quite similar to him. In some, I'm not sure if the money would be there for that fight, but I'd like to see him fight someone like Derek Chisora. I'm not sure if Miller would would be interested in a clash like that, but I think it'd be a, I think oh, it'd definitely. be a very sellable clash in the build-up, and I believe it'd be a very good fight as well. I think I've lost all interest in Derek Chisora, to be honest with you. You know, Chisora's uh, Chisora just seems like he never runs out of opportunities. You know, but uh, I think it'd be a good clash. They're quite similar, to be fair. And uh, another fight I'd like to see Miller in would be uh, Dylan White. I think that'd be another very good fight. But I think Dylan White's in a very good position now with with a mandatory, mandatory possible mandatory status uh, against Anthony Joshua if he fights and beats Kubrat Pulev. So I don't think that's really going to happen. There's also talk of Miller fighting Joshua. We know, but um, it was a it was a routine win for him. He looked he, he looked okay doing it. Danny Jacobs at the top of the card. Um, Good win over uh, Selecki. He he was. Uh, I think he surprised people who hadn't seen him before. Had having made 154 pounds before. So um, 
I think he done well up at middleweight, and and he he was very very tough, and he and he asked some questions of Jacobs at times. Um, it was a real good fight. Uh, so I think we need to see Jacobs though, and maybe a maybe a big fight next. He's on a couple of uh, routine defense, you know, routine fights. So yeah, we need to have him in a big fight, maybe against Jamal Charlo. I know Eddie Hearn's been quite vocal that he wants to sign the Charlo twins. So maybe if he can, he can uh, put him against Jamal. And we already know there's um, a bit of a rivalry there already. So hopefully that's that's uh, what will be next for, for for Jacobs. So the big rematch. We'll say the big rematch of this weekend now, obviously, because yeah. there's no Triple G Canelo this weekend anymore. Yeah, so right. this is the rematch of the weekend. That is it, yeah. Bell you versus Hay. So start with the first fight. Yeah. A very, I'd say, weird circumstances for me. It's Hay almost fighting on one leg for the best part of the second it half was, of the it fight. It was very much like a novelty anyway, though, wasn't it? I mean, take David Hay, who's, who's, he was a very good cruiserweight. Then he went up to heavyweight and won a version of the world title. And then you had him take a lot of time off, all the fury kind of um, the fury, the fury fiasco, and take a time off. Then the shoulder injury, and then he announced he was coming back. And then he fought them two, you know, them two jokers on on Dave. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then he wanted to fight against a cruiserweight in Tony Bellew. I think recently recently uh, crowned world champion in, in Tony Bellew at cruiserweight. Um, Whilst he has already stated he wants to come back and fight the best and win a world heavyweight title again, and then the same thing for 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 Bellew, he he could have got involved in the um, the cruiserweight tournament. He could have got involved with the cruiserweight world boxing super series, and you know I, I think it's a big fight that was kind of made into a grudge match. Maybe not too key on each other. Um, certainly angered Tony Bellew, and I, maybe it was just something that was seen as a very big, very well paid fight for the pair of them. Um, hey, probably viewed Bellew as just a cruiserweight. He could he could squash before going on to, to bigger things, and Bellew and rightly so believed that Hey wouldn't be the same fighter, and that his body would break down and that he could beat him, which is what happened. So it's it was a weird circumstance um, in the fight with the Achilles injury for Hey, but I've, it, the 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 situation, the event, and the fight itself was a <coughs> bit of a strange one anyway. To be fair, does it end differently if Hey doesn't get that Achilles injury? He was um, up early on on the cards. He looked good early. He looked okay early, yeah. I think, I think um, you can tell he isn't the same as he used to be. Some things are not there. I Some think things that's that probably understandable with the amount of injuries and and the preparation of of, of the, the two the two people that he fought in preparation for for Bellew. Yeah, Bellew's a cruiserweight, granted, but at least he's uh, he was very active. He'd beaten uh, a couple of top names, and um, it it just seems. It just seems a bit. Um, I'm not. The, I can't really explain it too well. But I, if I think early on, he looked like he some of his timing wasn't there. He couldn't really catch Baloo sometimes. But when he did, and I think the whole thing with the Achilles injury, Hay Hay knew about it. There was rumours swirling around a day or two before that he'd been out seeing a specialist in Germany, and Hay obviously knew about it. Um, hence why he came to the ring in in weird looking shoes as well, rather than boxing <laughs> boots, and. Um, so he obviously knew, and he obviously, you know, Bellew's been stopped at light heavyweight before um, by Adonis Stevenson. So maybe he thought he could come in as a as a former heavyweight, very hard hitting heavyweight, and um, and and take Bellew out early on. And I think once he once he was a missing and, and B when he was landing, he not having that much of an effect on on Bellew, 
maybe he realised at that point it's not going to be as easy as just bombing him out. So that's where he got behind his jab and started putting putting together some some nice combinations and started boxing smartly and he started having some success um, until obviously the injury kicked in um, and then obviously it kind of turned quite one-sided with not being able to balance properly, not being able to having the same mobility. So I believe it, would it have been a different fight? Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe you would have uh, gone on to win late. Maybe you would have gone to win on points. But ultimately, win. ultimately, the, the thing is, about you, people give Bell you so much stick about. But you beat a fighter because of his leg, because of his leg, because of because of his ankle, because of his Achilles, it ruptured. Otherwise, you wouldn't have won. What was that but, argument that it took him so is, long for that to for that to happen? Yeah, but people will say what they want to say about how long it. Yeah, that's the, the thing is of it. People all said. People all said and predicted, and 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 myself, myself uh, included. Now, I, I, I thought that David Hay would stop him, and um, the fans that were saying, "Oh, it's going to be over in three rounds, and David Hay is going to ice him in three, and and this and that, and everything." Well, <coughs> his Achilles wasn't bad until until midway through the fight. So why wasn't he out of there in the first three, like 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 everyone was predicting? And then not only that, but the the constant the constant uh, stick that Baloo gets of of, of 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 saying uh, you only beat a man because of his because of his Achilles and if, if it wasn't for like you want well guess what it did happen there's no change in what yeah. if there's no if or anything it did happen and it's exactly what about it's exactly what um what Tony Bell you predicted his body will let him down in the fight and I will knock him out late and and, and that that's what happened so it's we can, fans can't really say well if it wasn't for this it wasn't for this it happened get over it so I know you you, talked to, you spoke to me earlier and you said it was kind of a it's a nothing fight it's not for anything it's not really it's needed not the in the division. No. But with the rematch, it's a lot different this time. Um, Hayes' career is potentially on the line here. Oh, absolutely! If David if David Hay loses this fight, then uh, then that should be him done. That, I think that will be him done. I can't see any other big fight he'll get after that. Not unless of a very very long rebuilding process, which quite evidently his body his body's not up for. Yeah. Um, yeah, his career's majorly on the line. I mean, people say it last time if he were, if he lose to Blue, but you know th- there was always a possibility of a rematch on the card so he kind of even more so of how the first fight went down yeah i mean yeah especially in the in the in the, in the matter that it, that it happened and with the injury and everything um then yeah you know it, people it's going to raise questions about what he had won if he wasn't for the ankle and the achilles so yeah in that sense then um it's uh it's, it is a nothing fight in 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 the heavyweight division really but it's also um it's just a, it's just a big, it's a big grudge match. People are going to be so involved and so anticipated to watch. Um, it's very high paying for both fighters, so you can see why they take it. Um, maybe if Bell, you had a, another big option, a high paying option. I know Bell, you's not got too long left, and this he is was, con- really he was contemplating point. retirement. So maybe if Bell had uh, other options, maybe maybe Hay might have been thrilled out and might not have been at the stage now. But obviously he is because. So. Uh, the rematch is happening, so it is Hayes' last chance. So, is there a consequence of if Bellu loses, he'll bow out on a loss, or if he wins, he'll still bow out on a win? Is this his last fight potentially? Well, potentially it is, but you know, you ask any boxer, any fight can be potentially the last. You look at some of the tragedies in the past few years and stuff, and oh yeah, in that sense, of, of course. But but, but Bellu wanting to retire, but, will um, he do it after this fight, or can you see him st- extending his career a little longer? Um. I think if he wins, he retires. Maybe I don't know. Actually, I'm not too confident in saying that. Maybe he'll he'll have um, 
maybe he might stick at cruiserweight, go back down to cruiserweight, and maybe fight Andre Ward in another, in another kind of, I'm not going to say meaningless, because remembering that Tony Bellew was the cruiserweight champ, um, and hasn't lost that, lost that belt in the ring. Yeah. Um, if Ward does want to come back and go up a weight, like he says, and, and maybe that's a good fight to make. So it wouldn't be quite as meaningless, but um, I'm not too sure. I think I know he was contemplating retirement, and um, <coughs> I think he wants. I think he's after a few high paydays, maybe, maybe a few, maybe one, maybe two. I don't know, but he's after a, a payday or two to, you know, to really secure his family's future. So maybe. I think if he loses, he will he will fight again because I think there'll be a, I think there'll be a rubber match between them, yeah. and I think the ma- we might be seeing uh, the third Hay and hey Bellew. Yeah. So um, again, what what options Hay going to have after that? Is he really going to get Very a big little. fight? <laughs> it depends on it depends on what's going to come across for him. So we'll have to see. As obviously Bellew goes into this with. A very unfortunate circumstance, a family-related thing that's probably been over his head yeah. throughout the entire camp. Yeah, we don't know how that's going to affect him yet. But from what I've read, he's going to try and use it to beat Hay. Yeah, I mean, uh, something like that, and losing someone so close to him, it's obviously going to affect him uh, massively. So you know, turning it into a into a not a positive, but l- using it as, as Using as motivation. As motivation, I'd like to. I'd like to phrase that as to um, to topple Hay again is uh, is probably the correct thing to do, and uh, maybe maybe it will help him along the way. So on the undercard, there is Joyce, who's yeah. touted for quite big things. He's obviously yeah. sparred with Joshua and Fury, won gold at the Commonwealth. This will only be his fourth fight, but it's his first fight for the title for a title. Yeah. Quite um, impressive in his fourth fight, by the way, fighting uh, Lamar Thomas for the Cornwall. How good can this this kid be? Well, I think I know already how much a pedigree that someone like Joe Joyce has got. Will always do, do good things. Um, however, also you also got to look at the landscape of the division. Is this heavyweight division the strongest it's been for a while? Mm. The Fury kind. I think maybe maybe the inter- maybe the interest is. Maybe yeah. the interest in the hype around it is, but I think if you wrote it back 15 years ago... But maybe that's just how the generation has come across with such media and access yeah, to watching that's, Joshua that's, every Well, every that's week. it. I think maybe the media hype and the um, the <coughs> interest of everybody may, may have people think, feeling it is, but, I mean, would you put these heavyweights back in the Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson era and expect them to be on top of world champions? No. So yeah. it's the way you got to look at it, but anyone who's, who's got the credentials that George Joyce has got at the amateur level is... Um, is certainly expected to, to you know to do a thing or two, and I think I think he's also someone who's received a lot of unnecessary stick as well. I think so many so many people have criticised him the way he's looked in his fights as uh, you know he's, he he doesn't look very he, he's, he's slow he's got no head movement he's a bit of a plodder he's this he's that he's in his he's had four fights three four fights for God's sake you got I know he's so de- he's very very decorated as an amateur but the pro game's all different you're gonna have to give him time to to for a transition to to change over properly and yeah. Um, I think he's. I, I really rate Joe Joyce. I think he can go on to be um, a real player at world level, and uh, I think he's in the good hands with David Hay actually as someone because David Hay, I think I believe do believe he'll make a very good promoter, and um, I think he's in good hands with Hay, and I believe um, I believe I believe Joyce will get the job done this weekend and in style as well. Um, yeah. I think he, I think he, I think he, I think he quite easily knocks out. Uh, Lamar Thomas, in my opinion. 
the other notable fight on the undercard is Jamie Cox. He recently bounced back with a win after his Groves loss. But this looks like a step up in class, this next fight. For Cox? Yep. Um, no. No? No. Not In terms of stepping up in class, John Ryder... George Groves, no. Oh no, not 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 comparison to Groves, but comparison to the guy he beat after losing to Groves. Oh my bad. Okay, okay. Um, ah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, you know it's it's gonna be um, it's gonna it's gonna be a step up. It's gonna it's a very hard fight for Cox. Uh, Riders, you know, Riders, a very good boxer, but on the wrong end of a, de- a decision or two. So I think it's. I think they're both very small. I think I'm not too sure if the fight's at middleweight or super middleweight actually, but I think if it's a super middleweight, I think it is at super middleweight. I think um, they're they're very both very small for super middleweight. I believe they should be both middleweights. Um, yeah. But Ryder's a very good boxer, and he's um, you know, cop. I think he's only lost about four fights from thirty-ish. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ryder's he, you know he's been on the. I know he was beaten by uh, Nick Blackwell, um, Billy Joe Saunders, which was which was. Uh, a very close fight, actually. A really, really close fight, that one. Um, we know what Saunders have done since. So. Well, yeah, in my opinion, I, if I'm going to speak my opinion about Saunders, I could sit here <laughs> for a whole hour yeah. and tell you why I think he's capable of beating absolutely any middleweight in the world. So, you know, it's... Um, but uh, it's, it's a tough fight for Jamie Cox, this one. A real tough fight. Um, but at least he's, like you said, at least he managed to come back off the off the back of the Groves loss and um, get a win against uh, against Harry Matthews and um, this is a big step up for him uh, on the back of his last one yeah. but it's uh, it's a very winnable fight for him as well Cox can, can really hit as well I know um, I know there was a lot of talk of sparring rumours before the Groves fight and it gave, gave people around him and, and, and maybe some of his fans confidence but I think um, I think Ryder's been knocked out before and Cox can Cox had Groves. It was testing Groves early in that fight. I know it didn't go too long until uh, Groves knocked him out, but it was um, he was giving Groves Groves trouble in that thingy. So I think this is a very good fight. It's a very, so this is a fifty-fifty fight as well. I know Eddie Hearn likes to sell them as sell nearly all fights as fifty-fifties, <laughs> yeah. but um, no, this is a this is a, this is a real fifty-fifty on uh, fight on this card, and it's a you know you won't be uh, too confident on picking either to win. So a good weekend of boxing. Absolutely, like. absolutely. I mean, for all. For all the stick pay per view cards getting, especially Eddie Hearn gets for, for, the, for yeah. some of the pay per view cards he puts on. Um, no, this is one that's a, a real good card. It's, it's full of quality on the card. Joyce and Thomas uh, is, a, is is a good fight <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, in terms of moving Joyce on uh, and picking up a title. Uh, Ryder and Cox is a brilliant fight. There's also a fight between Rodriguez, Emmanuel Rodriguez, and Paul Butler. Tricky fight for Paul Butler for uh, the world title. That's a that's a great fight as well. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's Martin Ward against uh, James Tennyson. Real good fight. Really, really good fight. So it's a good card. Very good card. And um, I think uh, I think I think to be honest with you, I think the fights will be good on there. So I think I think they'll be good. You know, real good action fights for the fans on there. So I don't think anyone will be disappointed. Fair enough. We'll move on to golf then. Right at it. Right at it. Oh, 
Spain. He's done it. He's Spain. done it again. Just as he did at the John Deere for his first win. Surely not. Surely not. Shades of Salazar. Oh, he's only gone and done it. It's quite a, a weird two weeks in the world of golf. We have two team events. The PJ Tour have just had the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, which was 80 teams of two. Mm-hmm. And this week on the European Tour, we've got Golf Sixes, which is a team, a smaller team event, but it also includes women and some older players. Um, both are featuring walk-on music as a way to try and garner some more interest and hype up the event a bit more. Yeah. What are your thoughts on a sport like golf using an in- initiative such as walk-on music? And we say walk-on music lightly because it's not really mm. walking on. It's not like a wrestling entrance. Well, yeah, that's what kind of that's what makes me uh in some way form an opinion against it. I mean, uh something I'm so used to seeing every weekend watching <laughs> boxing and it's it's so fitting for boxers because they walk, it's build anticipation and um they have to walk to a ring to something, so um, it does work well for in that spot. But I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if um, uh, the the walk-up music's uh, a good idea for golf. I'm not sure. I mean, the idea of it is good. The idea yeah. is um, obviously it allows something that's kind of personal to each player and something that's kind of part of their own identity as a golfer. But I believe. Um, I just I, I think I mean I've looked at the clips in the weekend from the golf and I've seen that they kind of it, they just the golfers kind of just stand there whilst it's playing and it's it, kind, of like, kind of look a bit awkward as if they're waiting for it to stop so they can take their shot. Yeah. Bar Kevin Kistner, that is of course he uh, just <laughs> teeing off to Migos and you know in the background who is fine but and I think it was I think in that sense it can't have been organised well because some of the players were standing around looking around at each other thinking like when do we start yeah. playing now and. I think some, some of them were laughing and quite like embarrassingly as well as if they yeah. were, didn't really know what to do and looked a bit awkward some about it. Some took so. it on like Kisner just went, yeah, sure, yeah, I'll go and yeah, tee it did. off. And um, Ben Crane and his partner were like playing air guitar with their golf club. They were yeah. like, that's that sort of like thing maybe will get a good fan that's interaction. That's the kind of thing they might have in in their heads of why it's, it's a good <laughs> idea to, get, to show more of golfers' personalities. Obviously, it's a sport where... You hardly see that. You hardly see it. You. So maybe it's something that they've got idea of showing a bit more personality and getting more interest in it and making the spun more, making the the sport more fun uh, to watch and, and you know that kind of thing for for a for casual fan. So maybe that's what they kind of got in their heads. But I think and I think do think it is is something that they, that they um that they you know they do they they they, they might they might ha- they might have because of their uh, is is is. It's identifying for them, and it's something personal, something to, for that golfer. So, and like you say, it's to um, to to bring out the character in the player. So maybe it's a good maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's, for me, maybe I, it's I'm not I'm not a huge fan of it because if they're doing it to maybe attract people to, into watching, for me, it was hardly broadcast anyway. Having watched the weekend, it was hard. Yeah. You hardly saw any of it, 
and for me as a if I was a casual fan of golf I wouldn't really be tuning in just because someone's no, paying off the music so I don't see that aspect of it people 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 Maybe don't do, people don't do that for, for long ring walks in boxing people don't tune in just to oh Klitschko's fighting this weekend so let's all tune in to, to watch him come out to Red Hot Chili Peppers but that, that didn't happen you know yeah, I think it's more of a thing for the fans who are at the event yeah maybe that but the, the way it was hyped up had big media attention on it and it kind of wasn't, it wasn't worth deserved. it I don't think it's deserved you're it. watching it's just it at a, home it's not really necessary as such it's, it's a not gimmicky really. thing that I think golf's fine as it is You people watch yeah. golf because it's golf not because there's flashy music and people teeing off to Migos yeah absolutely um, but it's a good topic we could what would you have if you were teeing <sighs> off what what would I have? Um, As you say, it's all about the player's personality. Oh. Like Justin Rose and Stenson had um, Spandau Ballet gold, yeah. which is kind of taking the piss out of Stenson because obviously Justin Rose won gold and Stenson yeah. won silver at the Olympics. But he, um, the next day he went on that back against that, and obviously Stenson known as the Ice Man. Yeah. So uh, Rose put in a word and put like Ice Ice Baby on. Yeah, I'm not too. Uh, I'm not too sure what I'd have. I think being a boxing nerd and um, being a, a, a slight Kell Brook fanboy, maybe I'd just come out to how Kell Brook comes out with all the lights, you know, like Kanye West. So uh, I, I think I think if I was if I boxed professionally, I think I think that's what I'd be likely to have just just following yeah. on from Brook and how much that song gets me hyped when I've been there live watching Brook. So maybe um, maybe I'd follow it. That's what I can think of in my head. But I'll definitely do something like his. I'll get. I'll find some song that pumps me up, and I'll, I'll yeah. hit that damn T-shirt with it playing. Cause <laughs> it makes it so much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hard for me to pick one. I'd yeah. probably have to go with something Drake because I'm just a Drake yeah. fan. But it's a hard one. Yeah, we'll talk about team events as well outside of the Ryder Cup. Obviously, these are two team events back to back on different tours. Yeah, but two very different team events. Um, I'm not a big fan of team events outside the Ryder Cup. I find it very hard to get into, especially the USA one, as it's just yeah. it seems like they just pair up with their friends rather than anything else. And to me, that doesn't always work. You saw a lot of good players miss the cut this this weekend. Spieth missed the cut. Thomas. Yeah. Ram, they all missed the cut, and the players at the top you don't really find at the top of leaderboards in the PGA Tour. Yeah. So for me, it's not great. But I, I can kind of with the golf sixes this weekend where it's done on nationalities. That's more of a ride. I, I, I like that concept. I really like that concept. It's I know, more I know, ride a cuppy, but it's but not. I, but the thing is, of it, I, uh, that's that's is that not more grabbing and is that not more interesting that the fact that you've got a representative almost kind of thing you don't do you know what i mean i know you like the rider cup because of it's unique. because of it's kind of unique to what it is it's because it's consonant versus consonant and it's yeah then that kind of effect of you know who you'll be supporting even though you know you like many pga golf uh, many you know american golfers that play on the pga tour but you support kind of where you're from but you, your your side or whatever these that is what i I would rather watch something where two golfers are paired by their nationality rather than just being best friends. It's not a game of football between twelve-year-olds where they pick their best friend against the best two other best friends. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to work like that. But I think it's. Um, the other problem for me is because it's on the European tour, and most of the European tour's best players are out in America at the moment. Yeah. It's not 
England's team is no, I'm not going to discredit them because I love them. They're both great. Yeah. They're two of my favourite players at the moment, Matt Wallace and Eddie Pepper. Yeah. But if that was done on the best Englishman, it would be Rose of Fleetwood or Rose of Casey. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, but I even believe even even to the sense of how when the big sporting tournaments like the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games are on, the casual sports fan who goes down to the pub on a Saturday to watch their team or. Or or, or or whichever, or they're, they're interested in the rugby and, and, and they follow the rugby religiously, how many of them could honestly say that they are really interested in, in, in the speed skating or something like that? They're not. But yeah. if they've got a representative in there, they'll sit at home and be watching that on BBC One and be so into it and, 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 you know, and, and really cheer on the athlete that's competing because it's a representative of, um, of their country. And I just believe, again, it shows identity in someone and I just believe it would attract a hell of a lot more interest from the casual fan. And I think, I, I, from my own opinion, I know that's what I'd want to watch. I've seen it firsthand, having worked in a pub over summer when the Olympics was on, and people were coming in to watch Justin Rose, the Englishman, do well at the Olympics. Yeah, that's it. That, that's, that's exactly it. People are going to be interested because they've got some sort of representative. I know usually on, on, on the PGA Tour or, or even on the European Tour, you've got... A, it's like Pepperell and, and, and Wallace, P- people in the same sense should be tuning in to watch them because they're representatives. Yes, they are, but when it, when you've got a, like a team of, a, like a team, even if it's only a parent, like a team, I think personally that the casual sports fan would be more likely to get involved with that. Yeah, and obviously there's women in this one, which yeah. is a big talking point. That's already a talking point in golf, whether women should be playing in men's game. Yeah. But an event like this, where they can kind of be put on a level playing field, could be a lot better. Yeah, I mean... That's also a good way to attract women into the sport. Yeah, it does very good things uh, you know, for, the, for, for attracting more females to get involved with golf. Uh, with, with golf, you know, so it's... Uh, I believe that um, the argument itself is, is a weird one. I've seen different opinions about about women competing with the male players but I believe unlike other sports where um, where physicality between genders can really uh, be the barrier between them competing against each other it's, you know for example football and boxing both of them yeah. because then because the, the males naturally naturally stronger and uh, genetically than the woman they're not going to compete against each other but I think in a game like golf the physicality side of it is I know it's becoming more I know it's becoming increasingly more a factor now, and as as time goes on. But in terms of competing against each other, it's not really about the physicality. It's more, it's more technical and and you know technical and tactical. Well, I think I, I believe that women should be allowed to compete against 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 the men. Even so, to balance out the scales, they play they're playing off the women's tees, which are closer. Yeah, which puts it on a level playing field. Yeah, that's it. So I think it's something the PGA Tour. Should follow getting women into the women into and that's some it. of the men's it's not, events. It's not just it's not just the, the it's not just the ethical side of you know let them play, let them compete with men. Why why would they not compete with the men and 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 challenge themselves because they're able to and there's no there's not an unfair advantage. But not only that, but it's also good for the, for for the sport itself though. You, you're attracting yeah. you're going to attract more female golfers and and they'll get more a lot more coverage playing with the males. Um, it's it's good for the sport as well, not not just not yeah, just me, a fair thing no, to do. There's very little negatives where there's so much like ceiling to come so from much, this. Yeah, like, so much, so much the, positive. In the it, potential yeah. in it is endless. Yeah, that's yeah. it, and I I, I, no, I believe um, 
I believe they should be given a shot. I, should, I, should, I believe they should be given a chance to uh, compete against them. And it seems like the PJ Tour Commission was asked about it in in the uh, lead up to this event on the European Tour, and it is in the works. Yeah. So it should be. But I don't want another team event added onto the tour, so I'll be looking to change the Zurich into something that's more. Well, I'd have this. I'd have the event, yeah, from the weekend. As I'd have that as. Um, Either na- nationality. I'd have it as a nationality. The problem is yeah. there's so many American players on tour. You're going to have a lot of American teams. Which but could you imagine? Could you imagine, say, for example, uh, the Swedish nation, if they've got Henrik Stenson, and, um, for example, and and and. Yeah, but let's just say Henrik Stenson is playing with with someone very random, like Kevin Kistner, or you could have Henrik Stenson playing with Norren. Both together, can you imagine what they're going to be like and how much they're going to get behind them? But regardless of tour, regardless of the difference <coughs> in tours, I mean, I mean the actual the concept itself, regardless of which player and on which tour they're on, it's going to work. It's it's going to work considerably better than just them with partnering with somebody random. It's working the European tour because there's so many different nationalities. Yeah. The problem with nationalities on the PJ tour is you you've got. Say from a field of two hundred on the PJ Tour, I reckon at least one hundred twenty, hundred thirty are Americans. Yeah, so that's a, that. That is the problem. The fact to be a, you know, be a, but in that sense, you can add women to it, have mixed teams. Yeah, I know they. I believe it might have been this event last year. They did have a woman. Um, female was with was with someone in one of the events last year. Um, it might have been Zurich, but it's not good enough just to have one woman in the, no. in the competition. You got to have more because they are really talented yeah and obviously we'll look ahead to this weekend where the Wells Fargo returns to Quail Hollow it's a pretty strong field um, it's missing a couple of notable players but Justin Thomas who won at Quail Hollow for the USPJ is out there Ricky Fowler Rory is out who plays well around there Hideki uh, Brooks Kopka is back out for the second time since injury, uh, Masters winner Patrick Reed's out, Phil's out, and Tiger Woods makes his first appearance here since 2012. It's interesting. Um, so obviously the course was renovated for the USPGA last year. Um, it's likely to be the same, con- similar conditions. It's going to be a par 71, which is a sh- quite a short mm-hmm. course, you'd think, but no, it plays over 7,500 yards. So you're looking at Nine par fours are over f- 450 yards. So you can already tell what sort of player is going to win round here. Someone yeah. who can hit it far. It's it's a tendency for big hitters, good approach players with a good short game and making sure their putter, as as it should at, in a winning week, a putter just becomes hot. Um, obviously, Rory's got great history round here. He's been tied 13th or better in 14 of 20 rounds. Um, it was the scene of his first PGA Tour win. So to win on such a hard course for the first time on PGA Tour gives him credit there. Ricky, is his, Ricky Fowler, it was his first win round here as well. And obviously Justin Thomas won the US PGA here. Reed came runner-up. So he's won the Masters and he's coming to a course where he's was runner-up in a different major. There's a few local guys and a Webb Simpson plays around here this is his local course yeah and in good form as well yeah so we'll obviously move on to who we fancy in the betting corner 
Absolutely. But for now, we're going to move on to some tennis for the first time on Sport After Dark. Yeah, what a player! Three sets What a champion here at Wimbledon! The first man to win eight championships. Lewis Hamilton wants a four-time winner of the British Grand Prix. It's a fifth British Grand Prix win for Hamilton. The brave, the generous Native River in front. He's still holding on. He's made every yard. What a run. Native River and Richard Johnson have won the Tomiko Gold Cup. What a beautiful delivery that is. And when he's in this mood, watch out. It's a record for Jimmy Anderson. Sid Waddell's voice at the end of that <laughs> montage is absolutely brilliant. Every week we're both sat there looking at each other, trying not to laugh into the mic. Brilliant. It's just iconic, isn't it, really? Just, you, you tell you what, you, you, darts has not been the same since you know, since he passed away. Yeah. So, so iconic in the world of darts. <laughs> it's quite a good week to speak about tennis. There's a few things going on. We'll yep. begin with Andy Murray. So obviously Wimbledon's not too far away. No, approaching fast. Um, he's got a big chance of going there unseeded. Oh, this is interesting. Um, which means he has a one in three chance of facing a seeding player, a seeded player. So he could easily face the defending champ, Federer, in round one of Wimbledon. Oh, of his home, looking forward to that. His home <laughs> tournament. Um, so obviously he's been out all year with um, a hip problem. Yeah, he's not played in 2018 at all, and it's, he's seen him slip out of the top 30. Yeah, that's a quite a shocker as well. So, like, going into Wimbledon this year, I wouldn't expect much from Andy Murray. <laughs> well, you certainly hope not. I mean, it's gonna, I think regardless of who he gets seeded against, it's going to be tough to make something in, in this year's competition purely because of the limited preparation he's had for it. The fact he's been out all year, hasn't even played this year up to yet. I mean, he's not even coming back this month. He's back in June. But, which is, it's a long time to be out. And, um, so that's, what, five months, five, six months Yeah, and I think out of tennis completely? That's that's <coughs> quite detrimental. I think it'd be quite detrimental. I believe whoever he gets seeded against in Wimbledon, I think he's going to struggle anyway. I certainly hope not, but I believe um, believe it will do. And to top it off, like you say, the fact he's got you know a one in three chance of um, of facing a, a seeded player, but you know, possibly Federer, is uh, only going to bode quite badly for him um, with, with with the limited preparation he's had. I suppose it gives confidence to the likes of Federer, maybe some outsiders who yeah might go well this year that Murray could be out early that's a s- potential late well, spot yeah, in the quarters the semis for someone yeah. else well, I mean the, the the more that get knocked out early, the, the better the contenders that get knocked out early is, uh, give the outsiders more and more chance so I mean they'll be um, they'll be uh, they'll, they'll quite they'll quite relish the, the idea that Murray's, Murray's got it hard this year before he's uh, before, before Wimbledon so will no doubt give them confidence of making something for themselves another guy who might fancy his chances is Rafael Nadal oh of course uh, 11th Barcelona title 400th win on clay he looks unstoppable at the moment on clay yeah and I mean the fact of his uh, the fact of, of, of his his form on clay compared to Federer's where Federer doesn't doesn't usually play on the on, on, the, on the clay very often so it's um 
it, that's something that you know will give Nadal a lot of confidence as well. Not not just uh, not just about about Murray being out, but the fact of his uh, his form on clay will stand him in very good stead. You know, uh, for, for this tournament. So I think it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting one. And obviously, there's a big big pressing issue recently that's come out in the sport. Not at top level, but it's still worth talking about, as it would be if it was any other sport. Match fixing is a big problem yeah. in sport as it is. I'm, I have to say, I'm quite surprised it's taken this long to surface because the way you can put a bet on, say, this player's serve to end up here or yeah. this amount of points in a set, blah, 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 it surprised me that it's taken this long for match fixing to become a public issue because yeah. it must have been going on for a long time with how yeah I would have thought so with the markets available it's the same with football you, you, in football you can get markets on say a Ugandan second tier game or let's, see, let's take an English point of perspective you can get English eighth ninth tier yeah. and you can bet on corners in that game you could go to one of their players and say, "Make sure you, you know, kick it out for a corner yeah, every yeah, now and it. then." And they're not the, for a bit of money. They're not at a level where they're making that much money, where they're not interested in it on the straight and narrow. You know, which directly correlates to lower level tennis players. They can't yeah. be on much. There can't be many professionals out there. Well, they reckon that it's uh, the top two hundred and fifty females making off to break even, uh, uh, and uh, the top three hundred and fifty males. Also, the same. They make enough to break even. Um, I think that's before coaching costs. So well, you're only breaking but even. But there's yet, but yet there's fifteen thousand that so are. Um, it's a very small percentage are breaking yeah, even. So, so a lot of people are making a loss on trying to succeed yeah. in the sport. So can you imagine how many of them are going to be susceptible to being, you know, bribed and <coughs> and uh, bribed bribed in, in a match fixing sense? You'd fancy that a lot of them. I think I'm not being funny. I'm. Not, I don't think I'd ever cheat. But if someone came up to me and says, "Here's five grand to uh, hit this, hit this serve out of play on the first If first you're not ball. earning money from the sport, then if you're not earning a, or a regular, you know, a proper, a, a real rewarding wage from from the thing that you apply all your time to, some people are gonna, not rightly but expectedly, gonna gonna bend the rules and and take part in 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 this you know this corrupted behaviour in order to um. To provide for themselves and their families. For me, there's only two solutions to it. You either limit bookies' stance and how wh- how and what they can offer in a sport that low down. Maybe they should just restrict all betting on 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 so on tennis that's such you know low down. Yeah. Maybe they should keep pull it up to only the top only the top end of tennis or something. Or the other thing is the tennis authorities should be probably paying their professionals. It's one argument, I suppose. I, I, I believe in probably the people. If you're getting caught doing it, then there may be um, the people who are caught, and if you do eventually get caught um, taking part in it, then make sure the punishment is 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 very severe. That it sends a message out: if you're caught, and this is what's really going to happen. It's it's just uh, it's just as a st- standard um, practice, really. It would work, and it's either that or you know maybe. Like you say about the the bookmakers, restrict all betting on on tennis under a certain level, or at least, um, you know, the bookmakers could work with the governing bodies to restrict how much can be placed on these, um, you know, so-called um, markets that are that are very uh, what's the what's the word? Very obscure, you know. Obscure, yeah. Just yes. very very obscure markets that are not 
not very popular and so they should be and little things that might have very little impact on the actual result yeah so like a football is a corner maybe here it's a serve in the first yeah first set to the game it's in- insignificant but to <coughs> potentially um to potentially many people maybe betting on the thing then it's very significant you know and but ultimately even though it's not that significant to the game it's still part of it and it's still not being played the right way and, and the fair way to do it so yeah, i totally agree and quite ironically we will move into our final section of the show which is our betting which is corner. A betting corner. no tennis tips though we're not fixing <laughs> on tennis i believe you might have a boxing bet this week i may have a few but i think the the, uh, the markets are not out at the moment for a couple of other bets that I fancy, so I'm not going to save them until I've seen the markets. So keep your eyes out Friday night, Saturday. Keep your eyes, yeah, keep your eyes out over the next few days. Sport After Dark on Twitter is probably the best shout for them. Yep, uh, they'll be up there if the right market comes available, and they will be posted on there. It'll be the only place you can get them. Um, and Sport After Dark, not um, telling it, telling it to nobody else. So uh, only to the listeners. Um, I do have one bet as of now, and it's on the main event of uh, the Hay and Bellew card. It's a bet that's just kind of a safety bet, rather than trying to pick the winner or trying to pick how they're going to win, trying to pick what's going to happen in a fight that seems so unpredictable. Yeah, I'm going to tip Hay and Bellew over 7.5 rounds at 4-5. to five. The reason being is I think it will go long again. I believe Hay might be maybe uh, fit than he was last time at least. Um, I think I think Hay last time realised he couldn't hurt Bellew as much as he thought he could. And that's when he got behind his boxing and stuff. And I think he's going to come into this fight this time and try box his way. If he beats Bellew on a one-sided points victory, then he's still... He still proved he's a, you know he's a, he's a much, he he still would have proved he's uh, a much better boxer than Bellew etc etc. So yeah. I think he's going to take it thing out. But at the same time, I think I think you know Bellew hasn't really got the power to to trouble Hay in a one punch knockout kind of sense. Last time it took him a good few rounds to to to, to get him out of there. So I believe the fight will go to, will go long again, or at least you know into a into the eighth round and over. So so it's a winner if. We see round eight for the weekend. Um, right. I, bl- I believe I'm not too sure how. It, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure how it works. I think, in I, terms think of is, I think if we see them, if we see the round, round eight, then I think it's a then one. it's a winner. Or at, le- at least if we get one minute and a half into the eighth round, then it's a definite winner because yeah. then it would be seven and a half rounds completed. So um, that's the bet. Four to five. Hey and Bell, you over seven point five. Keep your eyes out on. Uh, uh, on the social media Twitter page uh, Sport After Dark and there may be one or two more that pop up in the next couple of days and that's all I have this weekend so I'm going to go similar to last week we managed a one place from my handful of Europeans at 40 to 1 it was enough to get our money back across the board I'll take it um, this week I'm going to go very similar with the fact that the European Tour this time has a tag team event and I'm not interested in betting on such an event um, so I've got six again from the PJ tour this week um, I'll say while I'm writing off the favourites Rory's pretty short I think JT should be favourite and if I was to have just a straight win on someone it would be JT at 11 to 1 
Ricky's really short at 12 to 1, but it wouldn't surprise me if he goes well. And then you've got Day at 18s and Reed at 20s. You could probably take a punt on either of them, but for me, there is value elsewhere. I'll begin with my first and lowest odds pick in Tommy Fleetwood at 30 to 1. Um, he's one of two players I'm playing this week because I believe that they will either win this week or next week at the players. Um, race to Dubai champion, one of the best ball strikers on tour. His form has been very consistent on the PJ Tour, 4th, 14th, the 26th and back-to-back tied for 17th. One of them was at um, Augusta. His second try at the Masters was a tie 17th, was not too bad. He finished fifth last week with his playing partner, Chris Paisley, and um, he outscored him for birdies, so you can tell he's in great form. Um, two players that go around well around here are Phil Mickelson and Justin Thomas, and Fleetwood matched both of them in the last event that all three played, other than the Masters in the WC, WGC, which is an elite field. Yep. Tommy Fleetwood at 30-1, to one, I'll have some of that. I'm going to get on board with a local guy at Webb Simpson at 40-1. to 1. I'm convinced he will win on tour this year. He's not the biggest hitter, which makes you wonder why am I backing him here. But it's his local course, he knows everything about it. And what he doesn't make, what he make, what he doesn't have in distance, he makes up for in other areas of the game. And I'll be so annoyed if he wins around here on what seems like an obvious fit. Um, all his top 10s this season have come on green types that are exactly the same as one here. He's a very good putter on Bermuda glass, and at 40 to 1, having knowledge of the course, I'm going to take a punt on him. I'm going to back Tony Finau, also 40 to 1. Um, he's had two good finishes around here in the last two years. He did okay at the USPGA, looked close to winning again last season, and it's looking the same this season. The amount of times I've been on him is ridiculous, and he's, he's going to pop up with a win, so I'm going to have to, gonna yeah. have to, I'm gonna have to ride with him at these odds. Finished 10th at the Masters and over the weekend he was in contention. He's a bomber, he suits this. Um, got Chess and Hadley at 50 to 1. Um, he has been on the web.com, court, yeah, web.com tour in the last few years. He began his season on the PJ Tour this year with a third, a second, and a fourth. His recent form is a tied 18th, a tied 7th, and a tied 20th. And over the weekend he was also in contention with his partner. Um, he's from nearby. He suits the course as he finishes sixth in strokes gained approach and he's finished 11th round here two years ago. The other guy I mentioned with Tommy Fleetwood that I'm going to be back in this or next week is Bryson DeChambeau, 55-1. to one. He's had a second and third in his last three starts. Yeah. His next win, he could have had three or four wins by now on tour. This course suits him. I'm going to throw a long shot at Ben An, the Korean. He finished 28th in the US PGA fairly decent for a guy for standing in an elite field. He has all the tools to succeed around here. He's in great form. Tie 6th, tie 5th, 14th, 7th. Um, he was in contention last year. We were, I was on him last year. I think you were as well. Albeit at a different course and he finished 8th. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of first time winners on tour this season. And yeah, that's right. I think he can it strikes me at 100 to 1. He could easily be one of them. He's probably better than the ones that have won on tour Yeah. first time this season. So that rounds off my six for this week. That's cool. So that's coming towards the end of the podcast this week. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Sport After Dark, Facebook Sport After Dark, and on SoundCloud at Sport After Dark. And we're finally up and running on iTunes. So please leave a five-star review on that. You will do anyway, I'm sure. (laughs) 
This has been Sport After Dark, episode four. See you same time, same place next week.